0: Be it joy and laughter, sorrow and tears, awe and insight, or deepest devotion, as we visit and listen, we are all part of a spiritual voyage called Song of the Soul. We've got the privilege of welcoming Bonnie Kolak today on Song of the Soul. Bonnie was a major presence in music, especially folk music, on the Chicago scene in the early 1970s, along with John Prine and Steve Goodman, one of the big three folk musicians there. Bonnie was a constant presence on the stage in those years, churning out four albums in four years, singing not only folk, but jazz and blues. Eventually, she wandered away from Chicago, including stints with other forms of art, like musical theater and visual art. Her travels brought her back home to Iowa, having the best time of her life. She's so full of rich experience and story that we talked well beyond the 55-minute limit of this program. So see the full, uncut version of the interview and the bonus excerpts on northernspiritradio.org. Thanks to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program. Right now, Bonnie Kolak joins us via Zoom from Decorah, Iowa. Bonnie, it's great to have you here today for Song of the Soul.
1: Thank you, Mark. Nice to be here.
0: And actually, you're not at home in Iowa, are you? Whereabouts are you?
1: Well, actually, we're visiting friends in Indiana.
0: I know that you're Iowa-born and that you lived in Chicago. You did your music in the Chicago scene. The very impressive fact that I saw along the way was that there were three big names of Illinois-based folk singers in the 1970s. Steve Goodman, John Prine, and Bonnie Kolak. Did you know you were that important at that time?
1: Well, I really didn't think about that a lot. I was really into just doing my music. Well, I went to Chicago in 1968, in the spring of 1968. I had worked five years while I was in school to make money to live before I came to Chicago. And I had a friend, actually, an artist. I had a lot of friends who were visual artists. And he, and he said, Bonnie, come to Chicago, and I'll give you a place to stay. And so I did, and I went to Well Street and auditioned and got the job. And then I went to the Earl of Old Town. And I met Steve Goodman the first week I was in Chicago. And then later, Steve took me to hear John, who was a postman out in Melrose Park, I believe, and... He was taking lessons at the Old Town School, and so Steve said, I, you've got to hear this guy he writes incredible songs. So that's how I met John. Steve and I went down to this little pub, and John got up and sang incredible songs like uh, Sam Stone and Here and There. And I walked up to John later and said, you never have to worry about a thing because your gift will carry you
0: through. I was noticing your recording. I mean, you released a album in 87 and then 94. You released something. You released something in 2001, 2004, two of them in 2004. And it's clear that your artwork, your visual artwork became more major. But let's get started with some of your music. What's the first song you'd care to share?
1: Let's do The Snake.
0: Okay. (laughs) Since I'm just mentioned beasts, bestiary. Do you have snakes in Iowa?
1: Oh, you sure do. I'll tell you a little more about that later. But I moved up to northeast Iowa after I got married in 1988. I had moved to Nashville, then was there a couple years. And we moved to the old farmhouse up in northeast Iowa. Iowa is not all flat. And we moved up to the, they call the driftless area now. And we had a rattlesnake in our yard. And I heard the dog barking and went out and, and, and they're very loud when they, he was not very happy and he was just across the yard. So I got the dog away. At this time, I was, I didn't have a record deal for 10 years. And at this time, so up there, I started writing poems And I wrote this as a poem, and it really tells the story exactly.
0: Fortunately, we don't have rattlesnakes so much here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Not terribly far, just a couple hours' drive from your area. But here is Bonnie Kolak's song, The Snake. It's from her 2005 release, this version, Here to Sing. Here is The Snake.
2: gone crazy there's a snake in the yard hiding in the flowers and he's rattling hard the cats are all curious they just sit there and stare wanting to get closer but wondering Can't we just let it slip away? That the terrible. I'm sorry that it's dead. I'm sorry that I kept its tail and chopped off its head. Seven little rattles for seven long years, both terrible and beautiful. I'm sorry for my.
0: an adventure with a rattlesnake. It's called The Snake. It's from Bonnie Kolak's 2005 release Here to Sing. Kolak, by the way, is spelled K-O-L-O-C. And I know how to pronounce that because I'm an international folk dancer. So we do a lot of Balkan music. So you you run into those.
1: Yeah, great. My dad's family came from Prague, so I'm half Czech.
0: So, com. If you have any question on spelling of that, come via Northern Spirit Radio. Dot org one thing that i observed on that song that was fairly impressive you got a long interlude in the middle of the song there or towards the end which includes guitar maybe it's mandolin or something like that a lot of other instruments and you said bonnie that you are have, normally were a single before you went you went as a solo performer i think you're not playing all those instruments
1: Oh, no. Well, I was a solo performer until I got to Chicago. But later, after I put together a band, I had Elliot Delman on guitar and Jim Tulio on bass. We worked a long time together. And then one night, Elliot said, I really wanted a pianist. He said, well, Howard Levy, I don't know if you've known of Howard, Howard and Bela Fleck started the Flecktones." But before then, Howard had played with a lot of different bands in Chicago. So I said, well, I don't know. You know, Howard, he played with John Prime's band, Mashed Potatoes. And he said, well, he might be interested. So he came to the Earl and had an old piano, actually was held up by bricks. Howard played. And I said, this is the best band I've ever had. My band was Howard, Phil Groteau on drums. And I said, I'd never have another drummer unless it was the son of God. And he was a great drummer. Elliot Delman on guitar. And then we got John Bainey, who was a jazz guy, played at Andes with the jazz group. And that was my band for quite some time. And Howard and I would do duos in New York at the bottom line and so forth. And he would play piano and we worked together for 25 years. We were together until he and Bela. He said, Bonnie, I don't have, you know, I'm going to be out on the road with Bela for a while. So he found Don Stilley from Minneapolis. And that was my band. And then Howard produced this album. And singing my songs, I learned to sing partly from Bing Crosby, all those old jazzers, and from a Gregorian chant. And when you sang, it was like a prayer. So anytime you would sing, it doesn't matter if you're practicing or if you're having a rehearsal, you sing your song from your heart. In certain ways, it's the prayer. I talked to kids one time in Grinnell. I did an after-school program, talked to middle schoolers. And I told them, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I said, you know, I wrote this song for my brother, Jim, who died when he was 42. They said, oh, doesn't that make you sad? And I said, no, it's a prayer. It was a prayer for me. And we have sad things that happen in our lives. You know, I wrote this song, Two Black Guitars.
0: Are there physically two black guitars in the past or currently?
1: There are two black guitars because my brother loved the Everly Brothers, and he was seven years older than me. And so I had never really seen the Everly Brothers. And when they got together, they had a big spat and they split up But like probably 20 years ago or something. They got back together and played in Chicago. And my manager, David, said, Bonnie, let's go see the Everly Brothers. And we did. And they had two little Gibson guitars that were black. And then if they broke a string, they'd toss it and someone would come out and give them another one. And we were <laughs> down at like the third seat from the stage. And so that's how I wrote that song about my brother. And it's called Two Black Guitars because he loved the Everly Brothers.
2: Two Black Guitars With mother of pearl in late stars Two young voices rise up in harmony My brother Jim You were two heroes to him He was a troubled young boy Playing in a rock and roll band now he sleeps all alone in Alabama at the foot of the mountain where the green pine tree grows. Yes, he sleeps. with an old photograph in my hand of a smiling young boy playing on an old guitar my brother Jim I will always remember him when I get lost in all
0: The song again, folks, is called Two Black Guitars, written in 1989 by Bonnie Kolak. You'll find that particular recording on her Rediscovered album in 2012. She's got a lot of albums out there, a number of which were on LPs and are not accessible now, but you can still go to bonniekolak.com and find a lot of the albums and get a hold of them. And again, that was for your brother. He died at 42. That's awfully young to die. He
1: was an alcoholic. He didn't survive our childhood.
0: My mom died drunk driving when she was 30, and alcoholism was a plague in our family, so I certainly know about it. Did that affect much of your life? Usually, if you're a a rock musician, you're supposed to have a dissolute life where you do a lot of drinking and drugs. Folk musicians don't think are expected to do the same level of depravity. Did you get to live a deprived life as a folk musician?
1: I had a crazy childhood, and so I generally wanted to hang out with people who were really solid. My brother, he was a guitar player, also an excellent guitar player, and he would play in bands, and he'd be with the worst people, the worst places, the dives he would play. And I made friends with people who were more solid. I was seven years younger. We had different fathers. So his father originally was an alcoholic. And me, if I drink, I get really sick. I pay for it but I never did drugs. I was a little older when I went to Chicago. I was 23 or 24. I don't like being out of control. So I would drink and then I wasn't a very good drinker either. I'd be so depressed. I'd be really, you know, I get really high. Then all of a sudden you hit the skids, you're really depressed. I really sort of stopped drinking in my 30s. And now for the last 35 years, I really don't drink a lot. So that's about it. Yeah, I had a horrible childhood. But thank God I was an artist and I could sing it out. You know, when you sing those high notes, it's like when you really cry, when you really sob, you can go like, oh, You can put that feeling, it's like all of your experience and your passion and how you see the world can come out in this sound. And that is thrilling. And that's like when I wouldn't feel very good and I hadn't had a, you know, I've never had enough work, but I hadn't had a concert in a while. My friend Howard Levy would say, I'd say, Howard, I just don't feel very well. And he'd go, oh, you just need to sing, Bonnie. You need to sing. And it was true. I would do a concert and it's so exhilarating and so beautiful to connect with people in this way. It's kind of a silent connection, but it's an internal connection. And what you are as an artist is to give what other people can't do. I mean, not everybody can sing, you know. And so what you do, you connect because life is hard for everybody. We all have losses, we all go through stuff, and it's also a joy. That's what you should experience at a concert. It should make people feel deeply and then make them laugh. Because let me tell you, laughing is like really good for you. And it's like one of the things that saves us, you know, to see the craziness in stuff too. So I wrote a song called, uh, we don't have it, but Crumbs in the Butter. You know, I didn't marry till I was 44. And so I wrote this song called Crumbs in the Butter You haven't changed the litter. You left the toilet seat up. You broke my favorite cup. You're driving me crazy. How can that be when I love you and you love
0: me? Wow, I've just learned so many things about Bob. And folks, by the way, (laughs) I've known Bob now for several years because I interviewed him years ago about some of his books he's released and which I understand you, Bonnie, did the illustrations for as well. So Robert Wolfe, if you look it up, and he even guest hosted at least one session of a Spirit in Action for me. So just keep in mind, folks, that Robert Wolf is a name you also want to check out. His writings, his thought are very important. And he leaves the toilet seat up like and makes crumbs in the butter. <laughs> well, he
1: used to. I didn't marry till I was 44, and I'd never been married. So it was quite a thing to have a man who didn't go away. I'd go out on the road for a couple of days and come home and he was still there. And we've been <laughs> married 30, it'll be 33 years or 35, it was 1988. And I, every day, I'm very grateful that we have this relationship. And he's an artist too. So we have that in common. We both love books. After I read the songs, the lyrics, when I had to give them to you, I thought, oh, my God, you are such a romantic. But (laughs) I think because I wasn't married till I was 44. And then you find out what love really is in a long relationship, and we yearn for it. I was so lonely when I was younger. I was so lonely. And you are so vulnerable when you're young. I wish now that I could go back and be the me that I am now and dealt with the stuff that I dealt with. I am grateful for my relationship with Bob and my, our dogs. We have two dogs and we have hot water and food and a home. And I have a dog. <laughs> I mean, the people in the world that are in such duress. I mean, to have hot water, to take a shower is like huge. Or to sit in a bathtub. I mean, people don't have that. They're living in tents and, and our fellow man that are in such duress this planet has enough for everybody. And in my 70 years, I don't understand how it can at times be so screwed up. And I love to cook. And when I was a little girl, I used to fantasize riding on a camel and having great big tubs of soup and having a dipper and riding this camel around the world and feeding people with a dipper of soup that were hungry. And it's, I mean, we have to figure it out.
0: And folks, today we have for Song of the Soul, Bonnie Kolak. Her website, bonniekolak.com, K-O-L-O-C is her last name. The link is on northernspiritradio.org. I wanted to remind you that our website is northernspiritradio.org. On there, you find links to all of our guests of the past 16 years for both Song of the Soul and Spirit in Action. You have a place where you can post comments, you can find the station's, across the U.S. where we're broadcast. There's also a place where you can donate. That's how the full-time work is supported, not by government, not by corporations. So we're not trying to appeal to that. We're actually hoping to appeal to you, our listeners, and to enrich your life. And so one of the ways you can do that is by going to Kolak.com and checking out her music. There's videos of her out there as well, but uh, the wealth of music, the 15 or maybe 16 albums that she has. She doesn't know either how many she has, so I don't feel too guilty by not getting the number right myself. Also, please remember to support your local community radio stations, the wonderful stations across the U.S. that carry our programs and so many other individualistic, non-corporate glimpses of both facts and music that you can get through Spirit and Action, Song of the Soul, and the many other good programs on those community radio stations. Please support them. And I want to jump right. Into some more of your music. I want to make sure we get in as much as we can. Bonnie, what's next?
1: Why don't we do You Played Me Just Like a Piano? I had a little house I bought really for $16,000. I bought this house years ago as a single woman, which was huge. It was a little cabin on the Tippecanoe River. And there was a beautiful storm one night. I love the moon and stars, they show up in my music a lot. And uh, I watched the storm roll in. I was driving an old 1950 pickup truck that of my friend who died. I lost my boyfriend in 1975. Bought this little house a year after he died. He was from Indiana, Kurt Burkhart, and I wrote this song driving that truck back from piano, late one night, and it's called "You Played Me Just Like a Piano."
2: You played me just like a piano And the music's from the moon and the stars You played me just like a piano And the song came straight from your heart Was I following you? Were you following me? Isn't it amazing we're in the same like a piano and the music's from the moon and the stars You love me so good in the moonlight I fell asleep in your Eyes of passion set them all free. You played me just like a piano, and the music's from. believe my eyes You loved me so sweet and perfect Like you'd known me all of your life But I'm afraid of you Are you afraid of me? Got to slow down Just wait and see You played me just like a piano and the music's from the moon and stars.
0: played me just like a piano. It was released in 1987 on the album With You on My Side by Bonnie Kolak. Bonnie is with us here today for Song of the Soul. The interlude there with the piano or xylophone or whatever that is, again, I don't think that's an accordion, but you said, Bonnie, that you don't read music. Did you start out with piano? So many people did.
1: No, I started out with singing and I listened to music all the time as a child. My mom and dad had a record player and had a, a radio and I listened to the radio constantly. I was singing songs when I was three years old. I learned by hearing. So if I learn a song that I don't know, I will listen to it and then I play it back in my head and that's how it works. And when I write I write in increments in my head. It's a pretty free way. Howard Levy, who also produced that album, he said, Bonnie, you're called a folk singer, but I'm really, I'm just a singer. Been, I've been very influenced by folk music. And I love a melody. A lot of English-Irish ballads I sang early on. And they also have that kind of feeling of Gregorian chant where you hold the note forever. I love melody, it's a line. And being a visual artist, I see melody as line. It's linear. And it goes up, it gets thick, it gets thin. I do ink drawings that I call them a cappellas because they sweep around. I started out as a drama major in college, and then I switched to an art major, and then I started making a living at singing. And I'd always done all of those as a child, but I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And then singing, I started making a living at it, and it opened doors for me.
0: And at a certain point, you went back and got a degree. You started doing more of the theater thing. You made your own productions. You want to mention any of them that you felt specifically attached or influenced by?
1: I went to New York in 1982. I had played there, like at the bitter end and the bottom line and stuff. And I had turned down, when my first album came out, I didn't want to audition, but they wanted me to audition for Pippin. And I wanted to go on the road, and I really wanted a career in recording and doing concerts. I did try out, I sang, I went to the Ed Sullivan Theater and Bob Fossey was there. There was, was an empty theater and they said, well, where's your music? I said, well, I'll just sing acapella. So I sang jazz Man Blues, which was Eddie Holstein's song. Black-eyed, sweet thing, sugar loose. I did it acapella and they offered me, I think it was the role that Jill Clayburgh took. And I turned it down because I wanted to go out and do a tour for my first album. So in 1982, I decided to go to New York and a friend said, okay, Bonnie, you can use my apartment. I'm getting married and I'll leave my answering machine. So I went there with my dog Biscuit and I had like four trunks of dishes and quilts. He left his table and I was at the corner of 3rd Avenue, and, and I can't remember the cross street. It was near Gramercy Park, and it was a big apartment, but he didn't want the people that were renting from to know that I had left. So he left his answering machine, and I lived there and slept on the floor. This was 1982, and I decided that I wouldn't turn anything down, and I wrote a lot of songs because I was alone, and when your friends leave you there, I was living on $10 a day. I had saved up money from working at the Earl. So anyway, I tried out for a show with Joe Papp at the Public Theater because the actress, Sandy Dennis, told me about Joe Papp at the Public Theater. So I went and I auditioned. And it was a part that they really wanted Betty Buckley for. And here I'm this sort of unknown coming from Chicago, but I got the part. So it was a huge cast, a wonderful cast, 25 people. And I had not even sung with an orchestra before, but it was wonderful. And being in theater was great because I had started out a drama major. I got good reviews and uh, won a couple of awards. And it went off to Broadway for a week. On Monday night, I'm at Sardi's in it. On Saturday morning, I was at the unemployment office in Astoria <laughs> And I couldn't deal with going to unemployment. So I kept living on $10 a day. Then I decided, oh God, this is all so crazy. So I went, decided to go back to school and finish my degree because no one in my family had finished. And it meant a lot to me that I would have a degree. So I finished my degree in art and then I met Bob and we decided to get married. And Joe wanted me to come back and audition for more things in New York But I had turned 40. I always said I'd kill myself when I turned 40, but instead I went (laughs) to Broadway. (laughs) And so then we moved up to the farm, and I didn't know what I would do then. And I didn't have any work for 10 years and no record company or anything. And I just thought probably it was over. But then three couples came up who were my fans and said, Bonnie, all our records are wearing out and we want up the money and give you a website. I'd never have a website. I, I'm not into computers at all. They did that and they really saved what was left in my career. I thought I'd nailed the last nail in the coffin of my career when I moved out in the country. And that's actually, I never would have written The Bestiary, which was Beasts of the Farm. And that was, I think, one of my best pieces that I've ever done. Anyway, so they put up the money and we did Timeless. Yes, yeah, so the next song actually, Slow Dancing to the Blues. You know, they had all those great blues places. And when I went to Chicago, I met Willie Dixon. I recorded Willie's songs because. Blues ballads and stuff are really, really feel right for me to sing them. I love them. And without Black music, without Black people in this country, we'd all be doing the polka. I mean, we have incredible music and rich stuff because of the legacy they give us with jazz and blues. And it all comes from the heart and from life. So I met Willie, who was so incredibly wonderful. I saw Muddy Waters playing at the Vets Club down the block from me when I first went there. And Willie was this giant of a man who could have been really bitter and wasn't and was loving and talented and just a sweetheart. And I remember I had a storefront studio on the south side and I'd sit there with Lafayette Leek, his piano player, and they'd play stuff for me and I would record. Early on, I recorded on the Ovation Records some of Willie's songs and I still do them. It's, you know, jazz. I mean, the richest, richest stuff. And when I first started, the classical music would look down on folk. Everybody looked down on folk, but the jazz people, too. And I remember when Dale Clevenger went down and sat in with jazz at noon, and they had players, older players that had played with Louis Armstrong and all the great jazz people. They were older, and they'd come back to Chicago and were living here. And as younger people, we could hang out with these giants, It was incredible. So anyway, I'd go down, there was jazz clubs all along Lincoln Avenue and Buddy Guy played everywhere. You could hear Buddy like, you'd hear on the street on Lincoln Avenue late at night after I'd do my five shows at the Earl, you could go down and the doors would be open and you'd hear all these great blues players, Mighty Joe Young, Willie. It was a incredible, luxurious, delightful way to be influenced. So I wrote Slow Dancing to the Blues after going out late at night to hear in a smoky club these great players.
2: Full of laughter So many bodies I could not move But you found me In the darkness And took me slow Dancing to the blue Jesus.
0: that Bonnie Kolak lived in Chicago. She got some of the best blues, jazz music around her, as well as great folk music that she was part of. That song, Slow Dancing to the Blues, it made me wonder if you were a dancer as well, Bonnie. You're a visual artist in so many other ways.
1: I'm a klutz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can dance if it's like reggae or something like that. You know, you just make it up. I'm good at a few things, but I'm terrible at learning dance steps. Or even like when I was trying to learn to read music, you had to count at the same time you were tapping your foot. It took me two weeks to do that. So it was like uh, I took classes to try to learn how to read music, but it didn't. I never really used it, so I forgot it.
0: So that was Slow Dancing to the Blues. It was released by Bonnie Kolak on Here to Sing in 2005. It was also on her recording visual voice. There's lots of music. Go to her website. Check that out. I'm going to hustle us along to make sure we can get in one more song I love your singing. I love your voice. And it's all the more inspiring to me that you don't read music and that you didn't have a piano background. I personally love singing. It's not that I'm a good singer. It's just that I love it. That's one of the reasons folk music works for me, because it doesn't require quite the expertise that blues and jazz do in terms of voice and how you land on the right notes. You can do that, though. You can hit all of those correct notes, and it's all the more impressive. So let's get one more song in. I think I know what it is. Please confirm for me that the next one is I've Got to Believe.
1: Yes, it is. And it's got Steve playing that great horn on there. Steve Eyes.
0: My feeling is that you pull out all of the stops on this. Now, I know you released this on Timeless in 2004. When did you write this song?
1: (laughs) I can't remember.
0: Part of what I'm wondering about that is if Bob, you know, Robert Wolf, has some influence on your pre or post to this song. I mean, I've got to believe that, you know, love, it's a belief in a relationship that I don't think you had yet. I was just trying to situate it in time.
1: Well, I wrote Roll Me on the Water for someone who was in my life 10 years before Bob, and he died. I watched him die for three years. But I wrote Roll Me on the Water for Kurt. And then later, yeah, I think I've got to believe in all my love songs. I have to believe in what I do, because that's what it is. You have to tell the truth. You know, it doesn't matter what music it is. It doesn't matter if you sing perfectly. Music is good for everyone. And we have rhythm in our body, of the heart. Our bodies have natural rhythm. It's uh, telling the truth. You can have someone who can play three chords on a guitar and sing from their heart, and it's mesmerizing. It has to come from a real place, and that's what works in life. Tell the truth in your work as you see it, and try to connect with other human beings, and try to make people feel better to know that we all go through hard things, but we can get through it and we'll be fuller and richer if it doesn't destroy us.
0: The song I've Got to Believe seems at least moderately idealistic. There's a number of people who came of age in the 60s who lost their idealism, and it doesn't feel to me like Monty Kolak has lost hers.
1: No, I believe in art. I believe in it. I believe it saves us. It shouldn't be taken out of the schools. You can get me going on that. We need the arts in our lives. It's desperate need. As we are born, we need art.
0: Well, people need to hear this one last song. First, I just want to give you a great big thank you for joining me. I'm so glad that I stumbled onto you. I was not of the right age to run into your music down in Chicago. I'm so glad that I did run into you. I'm thankful that you chose to share here today, that you continue to bless the world with your art, both your musical and your visual art, and that you joined me here today for Song of the Soul.
1: Thank you, Mark, so much. I appreciate it.
0: And we go out with this last song. It's a live performance. You'll hear the audience there, and hopefully you're clapping right along with them. I've Got to Believe is the song. Bonnie Kolak is my guest. BonnieKolak.com. Kolak, again, is K-O-L-O-C. Links on Nordenspiritradio.org. We'll see you all next week for Song of the Soul. Here is I've Got to Believe.
2: New song. I've got to be just to go on. I've got to be in all my love songs, and I've got to know. Some way